everyone. Welcome to CrossFits. My name is Hallie and I'm 13 years old. My name is Emma and I'm 11 years old. My name is Olivia and I'm 9 years old. Thanks for being with us this morning. We're very glad you're here. There's a lot happening around our church, so we want to take a few minutes and share a couple of things with you and your family. We had so much fun digging the house. Now it's time to think about celebrating Christmas. We'll be in. <laughs> we invite you and your family to join us as we celebrate the good news of the birth of Jesus, our Savior. Our Christmas celebration will take place on Christmas Eve, Friday, December 24th, with identical services at 2, 4, and 6. Bam! Here at our Newark campus and online. As we welcome our family and friends during this special season, will you consider being a part of one of our Christmas serving teams? You can greet our guests at front doors, prepare communion, or hold babies and share the joy of Christmas with a toddler. And don't forget to invite family and friends to join this special celebration with us. At Crossroads, we believe that wherever you are in life, there is always a next step to take to grow closer with God. If you have visited Crossroads or been there a few times or maybe have been around or walked a while and are ready to call Crossroads your home, attending membership classes is your next step. We invite you to join us next Sunday morning at 1030 to hear about our church's mission, vision, structure, beliefs, and history. We are excited for you to take this next step towards deeper commitment to our church family. Thanks again for being with us today. If you're already new to Crossroads and want to get to more connected, we would love to know you, get to know you. You can let us know if you're here by texting WELCOME to 812-858-8668. And don't hesitate to come say hello in the Connection Center in the atrium after service. We have some volunteers who would love to meet you and give you a gift before you leave today. As always, you can learn more about what's happening at Crossroads and get signed up at cccgo.com forward slash info. Make sure to stay connected throughout the week on Facebook and Instagram. Merry Christmas and have a great Sunday!
righteousness, might and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. While he lays his glory by, more than men no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth.
singing that song throughout the month. Um, I really love how it puts into perspective like the expectations that the people in that day had and for what they got. And so sometimes when with our expectations, what we have and long for and want and what we end up getting, it's just different, uh, but better. Um, so today we're kind of talking about submission to a king which is a very foreign concept. I know to me, to a lot of us, that that kind of like selfless submission to the Lord. Um, and not necessarily for our good or trusting that our that he's got our good in mind as a priority over all things or anything like that, but a priority for his sake, for his will to be done. And, and, and so I ran across this prayer by John Wesley, and I wanted to share it with you just kind of pray it with you today. So if you could put up that slide. So while, we, while I read this, uh, maybe just, this is a new kind of challenge to me anyways, but like read this with, with an open heart. Um, it says, I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me in any place of service and rank me with any type of people. Put me to work, put me to suffering. Let me be useful for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low by you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. And then this last sentence, I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and for your use. Some of those things Asking the Lord for some of those things should be difficult. <laughs> this should be hard to put yourself last like that. And submitting to the Lord and His will is something that you don't just kind of do once and then move on, but continually submitting to Him every day is something that um, He kind of calls us to. And so we're going to move on and sing a song. It's not a Christmas song, but um, when we came across... Um, king of my heart in this context you know looking at the lord as our king and as an opportunity for us to be submitting to him and and what that can look like what that means some of the lyrics of these of this song like mount the mountain where i run the fountain where i drink from and then praising him for being good and for being wonderful um i just thought it was a unique moment we could have to to kind of like frame our hearts for submission to him but also like to Jesus as king, thinking about how he came as a baby. Um, anyway, yeah, Sydney's going to lead us um, in that. And I just want to encourage you with those, with that prayer in mind, that submission idea in mind, maybe be asking God, what is it that you want to want to do? So, let's see. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I dream from. The king of my heart be the shadow where I hide the ribs for my life. Oh, he is my song. You are good, you're good. Oh, you are good, you're good. Oh, you are.
song in submission and I got to this bridge and I was like, you are good or uh, you'll never let me down. You're never going to let me down. I was like, okay, never going to let me down. That's like, where's, where does, what does this mean to me right now? Does it mean like that when I ask, you'll answer and that when I want, you'll provide and that when I, if I want it to look a certain way, you're not going to let me down. It's going to look the way I want it to look. But I had a good conversation with a friend just revealing that like, the Lord has promised to set before us a path and, and to walk us through the kingdom of heaven coming to earth and preparing us for that. And that's what he promises. That's what he promises to always give us what we need. So he'll never let us down in the way that whatever is set before us, he can provide for it. And I forget that. I know if you're like me, you forget that. And so when we sing this, we kind of sing this line over and over. You're never going to let me down. You're never going to let me down. These intentional moments where we say it again and again. If you check out, because, okay, I got it. You're never going to let me down. If you check out, you're going to miss an opportunity. Meet with the Lord now. And maybe there's something that he wants to show you. Some way you've been been leaning on something else or someone else or whatever. I just want to encourage you, don't let this get by without meeting and engaging with him, sing this. You're never going to let me down. Let's sing. You're never going to let, you're never going to let me down. You're never going to let, you're never going to let me down. You're never going to let, you're never going to let me down. Whether we believe it or not, You are making new ones. 
worship together by taking the Lord's Supper. Um, So if you want to go ahead and grab those elements and have them ready, you can. Um, Before we take those, we just want to pause. We take this moment each and every Sunday to pause and to look to Him, to look to our Savior and just to remember Him and reflect on what He's done and what He's still doing for us today. Um, And as we sang these songs, maybe there was a line or a lyric that stood out to you, maybe a line of that prayer that Chris Chris had us read through. Maybe there was a line of that that stuck out to you. Um, I wanna encourage you to lift that up to him right now. Maybe there's something else on your mind. We just wanna take a few moments to come to him, reflect on him, remember his sacrifice, remember what that means for our lives. Maybe you're coming to him in surrender today. Maybe you're coming with thanks, whatever that is for you. I want you to spend some time in prayer focusing on him, remembering his sacrifice and remembering the love that we have from Jesus. Let's pray and then you can take those elements when you're ready. God, we look to you this morning. We come to you as a church body, remembering you, remembering your sacrifice. Lord, we're so grateful for that and what that means for us. We thank you that you live in us and through us each and every day and help us through this journey, wherever it takes us, we trust you, Lord. We look to you. We pray that we would follow your will for us each and every day. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
Hi there, good morning. My name is Andy. I lead the online campus here at Crossroads. And I wanna thank you so much for being here with us today. And I especially wanna thank those that are joining us online. Uh, I was able to say hi to a few of you earlier, Miranda and Earl and Jen, and some of you that are just our regulars week in and week out. Thank you so much for worshiping with us and being part of this Crossroads Christian Church family. I really appreciate it. And, and gosh, it's awesome to get a chance to worship with all of you week in and week out. I love it. And I love getting a chance to be down here this week in Newburgh and in the room with all of you. Thank you so much for being here today. Now, um, as someone deeply involved in all things digital, um, I like to take notes in my phone and I want you to know that it's okay to do that. You can use your phone. Uh, there's a great way to do it. You can use the YouVersion Bible app. In fact, if you go to the YouVersion Bible app, you go to uh, more and then events and then Crossroads Christian Church will be there and you can sign in there. And then that way you can take notes there. It's signed and you'll have all of the sermon slides too. So if I skip any, you'll have them there and you'll, and you'll have that stuff there. This, this morning at nine, I might've wandered a little bit from my notes, but uh, hey, that's, that's, that's just me. Um, also, while you have your phone out, another great thing you can do is uh, open your Facebook app. Yeah, you can do that in church and, uh, and you probably won't get struck with lightning, but um, you can open the Facebook app and you can go ahead and share this service with your friends and family too. I mean, there's some great things you can do with that little tool. Uh, you might think that it's evil and it's horrible, but you know what? It can be used for good, I promise you. I get to see that week in and week out in my job. Now, um, last week, we started a new sermon series. It's called The Good News. And we're looking at uh, the ways that the good news intersects with the lives of the people in the Christmas story. And last week, Phil talked about Zechariah, the priest, and, and Elizabeth, and how the good news intersected with their life, right? Now, we're hoping each week that, that you'll have some cool key takeaways and some practical applications that you can use in your own life going forward as well. And, and hopefully there'll, way, there'll be ways that can help you know how best to respond when the good news intersects with your life or, or as it has, how you do that as it goes forward as well, okay? Now, um, as I was preparing for this, I was thinking about, you know, have I ever been adjacent to or close to like a big event and then like suddenly been thrown into the middle of it? And I thought that's kind of an interesting question for all of us. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been uh, just close to or, or next to like a major world event? And then through like some crazy set of circumstances, suddenly found yourself right in the middle of it. Well, that's what's happening here throughout these weeks as we're studying the good news. But I can tell you for me, it happened a few years ago. It, it actually happened 30 years ago. I can't believe it's, it's 30, 30 years, but uh, well, 31, 31 years. So in, in 1990, um, the, the country of Iraq invaded their neighbor, Kuwait. All right. And then uh, five days after that, the United States started this military operation called Operation Desert Shield. Now, I was serving in the U.S. Army at the time. I was stationed at Fort Knox, actually, not too far from here. Right. And uh, I was attached to a training unit. So I wasn't part of a, a combat military occupational specialty or MOS. I was in a, I was involved in training. I, I, did, I was a radio television broadcast engineer. That's how I got into all this tech stuff, all right? So I, I was there, I was in the military, but there's this huge world event taking place. I was close to it, but I wasn't quite in it, right? Well, in January, uh, the offensive began, right? So in the middle of January, the, the offensive starts. Operation Desert Shield switched to Operation Desert Storm, right? Now, my unit gets a call and the call is for one video engineer 
to go to Saudi Arabia. So they needed one person to go to Dharan, Saudi Arabia. And I was like fourth on the depth chart. So I wasn't going. It was still close, but not in it. A week later, I'm standing in front of my commander's desk. I'm getting the orders and I'm going to Dharan, Saudi Arabia, right? Suddenly I'm getting much closer to being involved in the middle of this earth shaking, this world shattering event, right? So I, a couple days later, I've processed, I'm, I've la- I land in Dharan, actually I land in Riyadh, go to Dharan. The, the n- day after that, one day I spent in Dharan, the next day I'm in Northern Saudi Arabia. I'm at the secret military compound. It's called KKMC, King Khalid Military City. It's not a secret anymore, so I can tell you that, okay? But uh, anyway, anytime on the news, you heard somebody say something about Northern Saudi Arabia, what they were really talking about was KKMC, that was us. So if they said a Scud missile has been launched into Northern Saudi Arabia, they were talking about it's been targeted at KKMC. And in fact, when I got there, when I got to KKMC, that was one of the first things they told me. They said, hey, if you're in a room and CNN is on and they say, hey, some Scud missiles have been launched into Northern Saudi Arabia, well, duck and cover, because they're coming for us, right? So we learned about the missiles coming our way the same way that everybody back home heard about them. And at the same time, actually, it's pretty funny. I thought we would have some cool command information channel. No, it was just CNN, right? And they would tell us, they say, hey, a Scud missile is launched in Northern Saudi Arabia. So one day I'm at my duty station. I'd only been there for a couple of days. And I hear that on CNN, right? A Scud missile has been launched into Northern Saudi Arabia. So I stand up, I'm like, whoa. And, and I hear explosions outside of the building that I'm in. And so I run to the door and I open the door and I'm standing there with my mouth open. I, I didn't realize it, but the, what I was hearing was the Patriot missile batteries uh, going off to knock the scuds out of the sky, okay? So I, I run to the door, I open the door, I'm standing there with my mouth open, and I watch a missile come down. It's like the size of, of, of like a compact car, right? It hits the ground about 200 yards from where I'm standing. It had been knocked out of the sky, thank God, by a Patriot missile. It was just wreckage by the time it got to the ground. It hit the ground and this massive cloud of dust and smoke rolls my way. I stand there with my mouth open and watch this happen. Everybody around me is on the ground. They have their gas masks on. And, and I get hit with that cloud. And, and then I think, Oh yeah, gas mask, right? So I grab my gas mask. Actually, it was next to me. I grab my gas mask, I put it on, and I'm just standing there like, oh, I'm such an idiot. I stood there and breathed in all that smoke and all that stuff. And, and at the time, we thought that he was using chemical agents. Saddam Hussein was using chemical agents in these missiles, right? So I'm thinking, anthrax, I'm a goner, right? I'm like, I'm done. I breathed it all in. So I'm standing there with this gas mask on. I haven't even opened my eyes yet. I'm just yelling at myself, literally yelling at myself so loudly that I didn't hear the all clear sound to tell us that it was okay. We could unmask and we could go about the rest of our day. There was, there was no chemical or biological agent in the area, right? So I'm standing there, I'm just yelling, dang it, why, why'd you do that? You stood there. I finally opened my eyes. As soon as I opened my eyes, Everything in front of me is super blurry and, and I feel like things are moving. I, I, I start to feel like I'm gonna lose my lunch. And these are the initial signs of, of, of being affected by a biological agent. So then I know I'm, I'm like, I'm done. I'm dead, I'm an idiot. I stood here with my mouth open when this happened and breathed all of it in. Everybody else applied their training and I stood there like an idiot. So I'm still just yelling at myself now. I'm even a little louder probably. And finally somebody grabs me and they help me get this mask off my head, right? And I take the mask off, and when the mask comes off, I can see a little better. 
Like things are clearer to me. Everything's kind of coming into focus. I put my glasses on. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm fine. Well, what had happened was when I went to grab my mask, somebody else had grabbed mine. I grabbed his. He was a reservist. He was about to retire from the military. He was nearly blind. He was nearly legally blind. So he had these special eyelids inserts in his mask so that he could see. So when I looked through them, I got sick to my stomach. It was completely just another sign of my own idiocy, right? <laughs> that I had done this. But, but here's the thing, that that day I found myself in the middle of what was literally world-shaking, earth-shattering news, earth-shattering events. And how did I respond? I, I ignored my training and I stood there with my mouth open and just let things happen, right? And I think honestly, that a lot of us, if we find ourselves in a similar situation, we might be surprised to find ourselves reacting in a way that's very similar to that. You know, I think that you can train, you can think you're ready for an interruption, you might even want that interruption. But then when it comes your way, I can tell you from personal experience, all bets are off, right? And we saw that actually this past week when Phil spoke about the priest Zechariah, right? For years, Zechariah, he prayed for a child. I'm sure he also prayed for the deliverance of Israel, right? And, and in fact, on top of that, he was a priest. He was trained to mediate between God and the people of Israel. He was intimately familiar with God's story, right? And, and, but then suddenly he found himself in the middle of that story with an angel standing in front of him, telling him he was gonna have a child. And what happens to him? He has a crisis of faith, doesn't he? He says, what, can this happen, right? He has this crisis of faith. He, all of his training out the, out the window. Now we do see that eventually Zechariah comes around though, right? Him and Elizabeth, they give birth to the son, John. John is the prophet that tells the world of the coming of the Messiah, okay? So, so things ended well for Zechariah, but in that moment, all bets were off, right? Now, this week, we're gonna look at another person in this same story. In fact, it's a second miraculous birth. This time, we're gonna look at the life of Mary, the person most familiar probably with Jesus, you know? So um, we're gonna look at her life, the person closest to him. And we'll examine how Mary reacted when she, when she was at this intersection of God's story, the good news with her story. So we're gonna look at Luke chapter one, and this is verses 26 and 27, all right? <coughs> Excuse me. In Luke chapter one, verse 26, it says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So what's happening here is Luke is setting up a second story of a miraculous birth. We've got these two stories to compare and contrast, and they help kind of with this theme that we see throughout the book of Luke. And it's this kind of unexpected or upside down kingdom that's coming. Luke is letting us know, hey, things are not gonna be as you would expect. In fact, if you look at the setting of the first angelic announcement, it was in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is in the heart of Israel, right? It's its religious center. It's the home of its government. It's the cultural center of all of Israel. Perfect place to announce the birth of a king. But the reality is what's announced there is the birth of a prophet. And then you go 90 miles north of that. You go 90 miles north of Jerusalem, you have to pass through this territory called Samaria. Samaria was full of a hated people. 
The Jews did not like the Samaritans. They did not get along. They didn't want to travel through that way. Most often they would actually travel way around it. So Galilee and Nazareth, they were, at that time, they would have been kind of the boonies, right? They'd have been out there and away from what everybody thought of as the civilized center of Israel. Not the, expect, not the expected place for the announcement of a coming king. But that's what is happening here. We're hearing the announcement of a coming king. So here, let's continue reading in verses 28 and 29. It says, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now, people at this time, they spoke to one another in accordance with their station. When they they would greet each other, like if you were greeting somebody that was at a higher social status than you, you would greet them a certain way. And And that's kind of what was happening here. That's why Mary was a little thrown by these words. She was surprised at the way this angel was greeting her. I mean, I'm sure she was surprised at the fact that it was an angel as well. Don't get me wrong. But even the manner of the greeting threw her. And it says she was greatly troubled, right? Some other uh, ways that, th- that this is written, it would say she was acutely distressed or greatly agitated. Her, her first response that we see here is an emotional response. Perfectly normal, right? In a situation like this to have an emotional response. If you think about it, here's Mary, right? She's an ordinary Jewish girl. She's raised from birth to understand that she's part of God's chosen people. She's enveloped by God's law. It, it impacts every aspect of her life, right? So, uh, from, from the moment she gets up, it, the foods she eats, the, the things she avoids, the ways that she relates to the people around her, whether they're a Jew or a Gentile, all of this is defined by God's law. It, it's almost hard for us to understand how fully enveloped her life would have been within this, right? It's, it's not just, the set of laws is not just her government. It, it's everything. It's her religion. It, it defines her relationship with God, with her creator. And it defines the special relationship, especially for her people, the Jews, the Israelites, as it, as, it, as it sets them apart as God's chosen people. So Mary has seen all of this, but it's probably still just a little bit nebulous to her. Because if you think about it, Mary was one of millions, just one of millions of God's chosen people at this point. But now here in this moment, this angel appears in front of her and greets her. Suddenly she's in the middle of this story. So an emotional response is perfectly, it's expected and it's acceptable, right? Now, the next thing we see though, is that uh, Mary's, it says that she wondered, right? Now this word wondered that's here, it's actually, if you really were to go back and look at it, it's, it's reckoned. And reckoning is actually like a mathematical thought process. It's what you do when you balance your checkbook, if you know what that is, like checkbook. But um, it, it's how you make sure that your accounts are straight. So it's a very logical thought process. That's what Mary did next. She had an intellectual response. First an emotional, then an intellectual response, okay? And, and that's, again, perfectly normal, perfectly okay. Uh, See, God wants our entire being, our whole heart, right? And our heart is made up of our emotions, our intellect, and our will. Now, as Mary reasons out what this greeting could mean, the angel comes forward with a little more information for her. And that starts in Luke chapter one, verse 30. And it says, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. 
The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And then we see another response from Mary. It says, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? And here we have kind of a third reaction. It's actually just kind of something that flows from that second reaction, and it's a question, right? Mary asks a question, and actually it's, it's a pretty well thought out one. Um, earlier we saw that Zechariah had asked a question, and, and some people kind of wonder, like, hey, what's the difference? Why was Zechariah treated so differently when he asked a question versus when Mary asked her question? Well, there's a lot of thought that's gone into that, but I say if you go back and you look at their questions, one of the things you'll see is that there's a distinct difference between the two questions, right? Zechariah's is a question of faith, Zechariah's question is, how can I be sure of this? But if you look at Mary's question, hers is a question of physics, right? It's the mechanics. She's like, I'm a virgin. How is this going to happen? You know, it's not a question of faith. It's a question of how is this going to work? And again, it's okay to respond in this way. It's okay when you hear a word from the Lord, when you hear a word from God and, and his word conflicts with maybe the path of the plan that you have laid out for your life, you know, it, it's okay to seek more information, to ask a question. But I gotta tell you, God's not required to respond in the way that you would like, all right? Chris mentioned that earlier during the worship portion of this service. And, and even here, let's read now the angel's response to Mary. That's in verses 35 through 37. It says, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is gonna have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. So if you look at the angel's response here, I don't know that he really answered Mary's question. He doesn't give her instructions. He doesn't give her like this, hey, this is how in vitro fertilization works. Or he doesn't tell her anything about divine conception. He says, hey, uh, the, the, the most high is gonna hover over you. He's basically like, hey, you know what a God thing's gonna happen, right? And, and then he goes on from there. But, but what he does give Mary through the, through the angel Gabriel, what God gives Mary through the angel Gabriel is some really important information. He gives her first a reinforcement of the identity of the child, right? He says, he's the son of God. That phrase, son of God, would have pointed Mary back to teachings that she would have heard in the synagogue or possibly even at home in the evenings that she would have been taught from the books of the prophets. That would be like Daniel and Isaiah as they spoke on the son of God. Mary would be aware of that, okay? The next thing she does is she, the next thing the angel does, he tells Mary of a sign. Elizabeth, your relative, is gonna have a child in her old age. And then finally, the angel gives her an assurance. He says, no word from God will ever fail. So the, this answer the angel gives, gives to Mary, it, these three things combined, they give Mary a better sense of perspective. And sometimes that's all we really need, right? We don't need to know the how or the why of something. What we really need is a different perspective on the what, and so then after that, in verse 38, we see Mary's final response in that moment. She says, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. So we see Mary's final response in this moment was willful, right? It was one of submission. And submission is simply this. It's simply submitting. It's yielding your will to that of another person. Mary completely submitted her will, right? She completely yielded it. And really her plan for her life to God 
and, and his plan for her life. You know, Mary knew the course her life was on. She would have been very young. I, I'm not sure if I said she would have been around 14, possibly as young as 12. But here she is. She would know she's already been betrothed to Joseph, a carpenter, right? There's already a marriage contract that's been written up. So she knows she's going in this direction. The, most likely they would have kids. They would raise a family together. So here's Mary, this 14-year-old, and she's got this in her mind. But have you, you know, there's a miracle that takes place here. Have you ever tried to change the mind or the course of a teenager? (laughs) Yeah, that's what happens here. Mary of her own, she submits her will to God's will, right? And, And Mary chose to subvert her will. In fact, she was so cognizant, she was so aware of her role in this that she calls herself the Lord's servant. And if we really look at that terminology that she used there, we see that she called herself the Lord's bond servant, really his slave, right? There's really not a delicate way to put it when we look at this passage. Mary's submission is so complete. It's so all-encompassing that she calls herself God's slave. Now, a bond servant or a slave, their life is fully dependent upon the will of their master, right? The slave's life is literally in their master's hands. There's no expectation of payment or recompense, right? It's, it's not a partnership. The relationship between a slave and master is simply this. It's simply, you tell me what to do and I'll obey. Now, in the book of Romans, Paul gives us some perspective on this. And, and, and he says this, he says, all of us are slaves to a master, right? He says, we're all either slaves of sin or sometimes he says the flesh or a sinful nature. He says, or we're slaves of God, of obedience, of righteousness. And just thank God that by his grace, right? Uh, he's provided us through the birth and eventual death and resurrection of Jesus, right? A way for us to be set free from that slavery to sin. Romans 5:8 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then if you go to Romans chapter six, verses 22 and 23, It says, but now that you've been set free from sin and you've become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Romans 8, Paul goes on to say, he says, you know, if you're in Christ, if you've submitted your life to him, then his spirit is in you. And in verses 14 and 16 of chapter 8, It says, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. So when we submit our lives to Jesus and we're led by the spirit, we're actually more than slaves. We're God's children. And all of this, is completely dependent upon his grace, right? It's, it's what he has given to us in the person of his son, Jesus. It's not through anything that we've done. We must simply just place our lives into his care, right? Now, as we look back at that main passage where we started in Luke chapter one, we see Mary paints just a beautiful picture of the best possible response to the intersection of God's story, the good news with hers, right? And I love how real her reaction is. It was emotional. Initially, it was distress, right? It was intellectual. She examined it in her mind. She reckoned, she wondered, right? Uh, But then she stops and Mary makes a willful choice. She places her life fully in God's hand. Uh, Mary demonstrates for us what it means to truly 
make him Lord. And as we see Mary's response, we have to ask ourselves, how do we react when God's story, how do we react when the good news intersects with ours? You know, and then from that point onward, what does our response to God's direction, to his word look like? Because another thing we can learn from the life of Mary is that this intersection of God's story, the good news with ours, it's not temporary, right? Mary shows up again and again throughout the gospels. You'll see her over and over. And then you see her in the look, in the book, in the book of Acts. I can't speak right now. You see her in the book of Acts. And when you see her there, uh, she's, she's at the selection committee where, where they're choosing Matthias to replace Judas. So Mary knew that this commitment to submit her life to God's will wasn't a one-time thing. It was eternal. That's a great example for us to follow. See, it can be easy for us to think that when the good news intersects with our life, right? We're responsible to make a decision at that point. We can, we can decide right there. Do I follow Christ? Do I submit my will to him or not, right? And if we do, we've intersected. And then, uh, yeah, there's gonna be a second intersection someday when we die or when we're caught up to heaven, right? It can be easy to think that way, you know? And then you might even go, hey, between point A and point B, maybe I'll throw in a few rules to follow. That I'll be a good person, you know, or whatever this is. And, and we can think that that's the way this works, but it's not. Mary shows us that when she makes this choice to submit her will to God, it's not a one-time thing. Instead, her story gets caught up within this bigger story, right? And, and it's interwoven with hers. And that's what happens to ours as well. When you make that decision to submit your life to Christ, to submit your will to his, it's not a one-time decision and then you don't interact with him again until the day you die. That's not how it works. Instead, you're filled with his spirit, right? And then from that point forward, your story and his become intertwined. You're a character within that greater story, that bigger story, the good news, right, of God's kingdom, all right? Now, there's, we've, I, I think in the past, we, we, we've kind of painted this picture, especially here in the West, where, where discipleship is simply evangelism, they're two different things, right? Now, we, we can think that, you know, all we need to do to disciple somebody is get them to say the sinner's prayer. And then they're saved, they're going to heaven, done. They're discipled. That's not how it works. That isn't how this works. It's not a one-time choice to submit your will to God's. You, you do this on an ongoing basis, right? Once the good news intersects with our story, we submit to him, our life is caught up in that story, and then this is an ongoing thing, but always we're expected to submit. And, and what's, what's wild is that's what placing our confidence or our trust in him is. Uh, that's, what, that's the definition of belief. When you go to John chapter three, verse 16, where God says, or, or where Jesus is, is talking to Nicodemus, and he says, whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Belief isn't just acknowledging that Jesus is real. It's not acknowledging that he's a person. It's not acknowledging that he's the son of God. It's so much more. It's actually placing your confidence or your trust in him. That's what belief is. It's submitting your will fully to his, all right? Now, I would say that we might be at a place where we need to look at our relationship with God. You know, personally, I, I can find myself falling into these little ruts, these weird habits, and, and I can be cruising along, 
just making decisions, you know, um, living my life, you know, not, not horribly, making choices that I'm like, eh, I think that's a good choice. And then I'll even ask God, like, hey, God, um, can you partner with me in this? Can you help me in this? Instead of, at the front end of that, submitting my will to his, seeking his will, and then following. I can easily forget, and I fall into this, that the first call of Christ to the apostles was to come follow me, right? So I can get caught up in trying to be a good Christian leader that I can forget that that begins first with being a submitted Christ follower. Don't fall into that same trap. You know, earlier, Chris read a prayer on the screen. It was from uh, John Wesley. And, and where, where that comes from, in, in 1755, John Wesley and his brother, uh, they, they looked at the state of the church and they thought, you know what, uh, we're kind of, we need to make sure that we're focused properly. So they started this service and, and the service is called a um, covenant renewal service, right? And, and they did it, the first one was in August, but then, but then John Wesley realized, hey, let's do this on New Year's Eve. So he instituted this service that took place every New Year's Eve called a covenant renewal service. And his, the, the churches would come together and then they would have this night of worship and, and teaching and it all revolved or culminated in actually that prayer that we had on the screen earlier. That was the high point of the service. And the key line within that prayer, if you remember the part that was in bold is, I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And this practice of just regularly praying that prayer of submission, I mean, I, I think it's a great one for us to follow. Last week, Phil mentioned that in the roadmap, there's a workbook called the Personal Rule of Life Workbook. I, I've gone through this and, and completed my rule of life. And, and then uh, this past week, actually, I, I recorded a podcast with, with Bree, our, our worship leader, um, that you can listen to. It's the Live and Love Like Jesus podcast. And we, we talked about this rule of life and, and how important it is for us. It's neat. It's an awesome exercise to help build like a structure that you can build a healthy spiritual life around. You know, it's not rules like, like laws that you're following or some strict thing. It's something you develop to help you with your relationship with God, okay? But my, my caveat to that would be don't do it alone. Be sure you have somebody else partner with you in that. You probably have blind spots that you don't see, right? I, th I think it's said like uh, the eye can't see itself, <laughs> right? So you need somebody else to, to help you with this too, right? But um, I, for, for me, uh, this commitment to submit, I have to do it at, at regular intervals. John Wesley recommended it once a year. Me, I try to do it daily. I, I've started this piece of my... Um, Prayer life, it's actually, it's called the Eximen. You do it at the end of the day. It's kind of a, a, a prayer structure that I like. And it, and it reminds me to look at my day that I just lived in, in light of God's will, and then look at the next day, right? And then fully submit myself to his will for that day. That's a great way for, for me to end my day. Before, my spiritual practices pretty much all took place in the morning. Now I'm trying to incorporate this Eximen. I'm, I'm working on it, <laughs> getting it into my evening as well. You might, you might try that. Now, in closing, one of the things I'd like to point out is that submission actually wasn't the final response of Mary's that we see in this passage of scripture. As, as we continue to read forward, if you go to verse 39, you see that it says, at that time, 
Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and she greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you'll bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. So the next thing Mary does after she receives this word from the Lord is she seeks community, right? She goes and finds somebody else in a similar situation. In this case, it's Elizabeth. And what's awesome is what happens the moment that Elizabeth hears Mary's voice. At that moment, she leaps up and she confirmed everything the angel had said to Mary. She does it in the same order that the angel did when, she deli- when, when the angel delivered it to Mary originally. First, he, she says, you're blessed. She says, blessed are you among women. Then she confirmed the pregnancy. Blessed is the child you will bear. And, and you gotta remember, it said that she hurried down to see Elizabeth, right? She's still within probably the first two weeks of her pregnancy. There's no baby bump, right? Not at that point. So Elizabeth has had this revelation from the Holy Spirit that had filled her when she heard Mary's voice, right? And now it it says after that, that Elizabeth confirmed the identity of the child. When she called that baby, my Lord, she confirmed the identity of the child as well. What an awesome gift this was to Mary. I mean, we continually speak here uh, of the importance, this value of community. And here you see it just portrayed just awesomely, just beautifully in the Christmas story. It's important to know that the Christian life is meant to be lived in community with others, right? After Mary received her word from God and she submitted her life to his will, the next thing she did was hurriedly sought someone in a similar situation. When we connect with people that have been called to follow a similar path, uh, we can encourage and challenge each other to continue to progress along it, right? And now... We're gonna look at the final section of scripture here. It's, it's Luke chapter one, verses 46 through 55. This is where or Mary's final response really to God's call in her life is recorded. Now, after she received this awesome confirmation of her calling, it says, Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things and he's sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors." So as we read this song of Mary's, it's called the Magnificat. Mary's response is right there in it, right? The first thing we see is that Mary was worshipful. She said, my soul glorifies the Lord. And then we see that Mary was joyful, where she says, my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. And then we see that Mary was humble. It says, the mighty one has done great things for me. Mary recognized God's grace in her life. Mary recognized that it wasn't anything that she had done to deserve it. It was what God was doing in and through her, right? She 
also throughout this song, Mary's just filled with this awesome sense of perspective, right? She fully recognized that her story was part of this bigger story. And through God's grace, every one of us here, every one of us has an opportunity. We've all been invited to be part of this bigger story, this good news, this world-shaking, earth-shattering news that God's kingdom has come to earth. Every one of us has a role to play in this story that that began with the birth of Jesus. And, And that's the perspective that each one of us must have, right? And now it's up to us to respond appropriately you know, not to just stand there with our mouths open, which can happen, I, I promise, from personal experience, but instead to listen to God's voice, to submit. That means to believe, to place our lives in his care, to make Jesus Lord of our life. And then it, it's not just once, it's, it's on a daily basis. In fact, it can be from moment to moment that we allow his spirit to guide us so that we live in obedience to his word. And what's amazing is that through all of this, you know, as we talk about submitting our lives, as we talk about becoming God's slave, the reality is that in all of this, what's really found there is freedom. It's life and it's light. And I wanna encourage you to participate in this bigger story, this greater story today, right? Now, if you're here and you have yet to have submitted your will to God, then I wanna encourage you to do this. Text the word now to us to let us know that you're ready to do that. If you're joining us online, please do that same thing. What'll happen is one of our care team members will contact you. If you're here in the room, you can come down to the front. We've got care team members. We've got uh, elders and pastors that would love to speak or to pray with you and what that looks like. Also, if you've already made that choice, your, your life is intertwined, right, with this greater story, but you're having trouble submitting portions of your life to him. Same thing. Text the word now to us or come down for prayer. Let us pray with you. Let, you've got people to either side of you that you'd be surprised the experiences they've had that might align with yours that can help encourage you as you progress along this pathway. All right? We would love to take part in this journey with you. I'm gonna go ahead and pray. And then we have a special moment following my prayer with a baptism. All right, so let's pray together. Father God, thank you. Thank you so much for the gift of your son, Jesus. Thank you for this good news that his kingdom has come to earth. Thank you for inviting us to participate in it. God, thank you for the examples that have been set for us of those others that have already submitted their will to yours. Like Mary, where we can look at it and see, God, that it's normal. It's okay for us to be emotional. It's okay for us to get caught up in our mind thinking, but, but God, that what's required of each of us eventually is to submit. It's to fully believe, to fully place our trust and our confidence in you. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for all that you've done through your son and through the spirit that you've given to live in each one of us. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray, amen. Now I'm gonna direct your attention to the baptistry right over here. 
Good morning. I'm Aslan Carter, and I'm here this morning with Brooklyn Darty and her dad, Tim. And I've gotten to know Brooklyn over the last year or so as she's been in our kids' choir, and it's been fun um, just to watch her love for the Lord and her understanding of worshiping the Lord and what that looks like um, just grow and develop. And um, Brooklyn, I can't think of anything more that you could do with your life today um, that's a greater act of worship than just giving your heart and your life to Him. So we're excited to celebrate this with you today. So I'm gonna ask you to repeat after me. I believe believe that Jesus is the Christ, the the son of the living God. And today I receive him him as my savior savior and my Lord. Lord. Okay, Brooklyn, because of your profession of faith, your dad and I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. morning. I'm Emily Holweger, and this is my husband, Matt, and this is our daughter, Louise. Um, Louise is 10 years old, and she has just been poured into, into by the ministry here at Crossroads, and Miss Sherry Wakeland especially, and all those who volunteer their time, and she has um, been able to, to learn about Jesus over the years, and we've had some really sweet conversations over the last few months, and she let us know that she was ready to give her heart to Jesus, and we were able to, sorry, We were able to pray through that, um, and she wanted to step forward in this act of obedience and being baptized and making a public confession of her faith. Um, She knows that this is just the beginning, and we as parents are just ecstatic and excited to watch her as she um, continues her relationship with Jesus. So Lou, I'm going to ask you to repeat after me, okay? I believe that Jesus is the Christ. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the living God. And today I receive him as my Lord and Savior. Margaret Louise Holweger, upon your profession of faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That right there, my friends, is some good news. That's a great way to end our worship gathering for sure. Hey, we want to worship together by giving our tithes and offerings. So we're gonna do that right now. There's several ways that you can give here at Crossroads and they'll show up on the screen, but it's always important for us to remember why we give. And we give because we wanna be a part of what God is doing in this community and really around the world. And we believe that there is good news in Jesus. And we want that good news to take root and to be applied to uh, just felt needs right here where we live, but also wherever God would send us. And by giving, you participate in that. You are part of what God's doing. And uh, as we close out 2021, we have a big giving goal that would uh, help us in this year really well in a financial situation uh, here as a church family. And we've set a goal of $935,000 for the month of December. That's a really big number, uh, but we have a really big God and we're confident that through the generosity of God's people, we'll be able to end this year well and continue to share that good news with 
uh, everyone in this community and around the world. So we encourage you just to continue to be generous. And we want to close our service today with some other good news, and I want to share that with you right now. And it comes in the form of some introductions. And the first group of people I want to introduce to you is Ryan and Catherine King and their family. Ryan is our new executive director of operations. Would you welcome him to our church family? Awesome. This is Ryan and Catherine's three kids. This is Conrad and Remy and Eris, and they're relocating from the west side of Indianapolis and hope to be here in the tri-state as soon as possible. If you're looking for investment property on the west side of Evans or west side of Indianapolis, see Ryan afterwards. He'll make you a good deal. Uh, we're excited about them bringing their heart for the Lord, their heart for uh, what he's doing in the local church here to the Evansville community, and uh, you'll get a chance to meet them out in the atrium right after service. And also behind me is not unfamiliar faces. This is the Carter family, Aslan and Dan and their two boys. And we want to let you know that we have asked, just recently asked Aslan to step in to be in our executive director of formation. And she said yes. And what that means is she's going to continue to provide her godly influence and a shepherd's heart here in our congregation, overseeing the areas of worship and growth and connections. And we're really excited to have Aslan step into this new role out of the baptistry right up here to stage, quick change. Would you welcome her and congratulate her in this new role? Awesome. Nice time. And one last bit of good news is that we wanted to let you know that Jeremy Locke has accepted a position with one of our, lo our global outreach uh, partners, uh, Uncharted International. And we're really excited for Jeremy and what God's doing in his life. It's been a past several months journey and I've had a front row seat to watching God work in his life and him listening with great courage and faith. And we're excited for his whole family to not just jump into this next uh, ministry assignment, but we're really Really excited that they're not leaving Newburgh and not leaving Crossroads. We get to still be family. So that's a great news for all of us, for sure. So uh, Jeremy, Brielle, and kids, on behalf of Crossroads, thanks for your faithful service over the past several years. Thanks for leading well and for loving us. And thanks for letting us get to love you. And we're glad that that continues. Uh, congratulate them once again, would you? Awesome. I'm going to let all these three families make their way out to the atrium so you can introduce yourself to them, congratulate them personally, and, and welcome them to our church family or to their new assignments as well. And we're excited about what God's doing here at Crossroads. We trust that he's continuing to lead us as we wrap up 2021 and into 2022. Thank you for your trust and your participation in what God is doing here. Uh, we hope that you'll enjoy the rest of your day, and we'll see you back next Sunday. Have a great day. Jingle bells, jing, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun 